0: Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Claire Smith, the Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Texan, joined today by Forum Editor Walker Fountain.
1: Hey, Claire. How are you?
0: I'm great. This is the first iteration of the new Texan Talks podcast. Walker and I have never done this before, so it's an exciting moment for us. Very excited. So we are going to be talking about the package that appeared on the Forum page in today's Daily Texan about legislation in student government regarding campaign spending limits. Walker, do you want to give us a rundown of that topic?
1: Yeah. So um, just last week, student government passed an amended version of uh, Assembly Bill 9, which changes the campaign finance structure for basically all student government races. Um, So the original legislation called for basically cutting in half or a little bit more than half the spending limits for executive alliance races, for university-wide races, college Representative races, um, and first year representative races and first-year representative races. And basically, uh, that bill wanted to uh, put in those spending cuts for this election, and the election that's basically happening in two weeks. Um,
0: it starts next Wednesday, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, voting itself is is I guess in late it's February. Several, yeah. yeah,
0: several weeks away.
1: Um, obviously, the, there was some some backlash to that timetable, seeing as you know many campaigns have already, I assume, started spending that money. So, um, an amended version was passed, which uh, has basically said that these campaign finance regulations will go in for next year's elections and not this year's elections. The actual totals are. Pretty significant. Um, So currently, for this year, uh, an executive alliance can spend about uh, over $1,000, $1,023 on their campaign. Um, Under the new rules, they'll be able to spend $511. Um, For a university-wide representative, uh, they can currently spend $614. That will decrease to $204. Um, And so
0: those are significant. uh,
1: Those definitely are significant. and, and the reason that this was done, um, at least according to the bill sponsor, was to kind of level the playing field and lower the entrance fees um, for SG races.
0: Right. And... I think that with last spring's election, you know, the joke candidates being elected, I think for a lot of people that demonstrated um, a certain dissatisfaction that the student body at large might have had with student government, maybe wondering if student government really represented them. Um, And I know that there have been concerns in the past about, you know, really if student government is representative. So I think that 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 was probably the intention behind. The legislation, right?
1: I think that was definitely a driving force. And if you look at it, um, I think there's a lot of concern that the current spending limits were too high. If you're a freshman or you know, really any student on UT, you want to have a voice in student government the authors are saying you shouldn't have to come up with $1,024. Or if you're, you know, university-wide representative, you shouldn't have to come up with $614. Now, on the flip side, uh, our contributor Tanner Long points out that uh, a lot of people uh, have spent far less in their elections. Um, In fact, the title of his piece is Money is Not a Sure Victory for SG Elections. He points out that Xavier Ratnovsky and Rohit Mandalapu, who won, uh, only spent $38 uh, on their election.
0: And most of that was on Lunchables, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's it's, a crucial, it's crucial to stay fed uh, during those really right. tough races. Right.
0: Snacks are important throughout the day, so yeah. I hear.
1: Well, so he also pointed out that uh, about, according to his statistics, 29% of the winning candidates spent no money at all last year. Granted, there were some folks running unopposed, especially in graduate school seats, but... There is some debate, at least, as to whether those financial regulations um, are crucial um, because a lot of people are spending very little amounts of money on their campaign.
0: Right. And something that I thought was really compelling in um, Amber's contributing op-ed was she said that candidates shouldn't have to have a disposable income to spend on something like like a student government election. Um, I think that that really connects with students. But something that was interesting was, you know, why didn't this sort of come up sooner so that it could have potentially had an impact on this year's student government elections, especially on the wave of last year's where, you know, there was sort of, um, I don't know. I mean, it's a, a sort of bizarre year that got that got people's attention and maybe people's attention and wanting to apply. I understand that... Um, Rohit Mandelapu and Xavier Rotnofsky had um, many times over the number of people that they could have accepted into appointed positions in student government. So that's interesting. Why, why don't you think that this came up sooner?
1: You know, I mean, that would just be me speculating. i um, not sure if uh, I can really put forward a, a guess on that. Um, obviously, they've had a lot of priorities that they've been trying to advance, uh, and they've been you know, quite successful, most notably the Jefferson Davis statue, but also smaller things like uh, was Joe JCL being open, J2 being open, an extra 30 minutes, that kind of thing. Um, you know, maybe uh, it was uh, the kind of thing that we got, Close to the election, everyone was like, oh, wait, we have an election, uh, and uh, this kind of got thrown in. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of people in, in SG who were who were worried about that, and that's why the amended version of the bill um, uh, was enacted instead of the full version. And And it's worth mentioning that SG was far from unanimous on this bill. Uh, seven reps did vote against it, and so there was definitely some concern from people that, that these campaign spending limits were a little bit too onerous um, on people who'd want to run. Obviously, uh, Amber uh, counters in her article um, that these kind of steps are needed to boost diversity in SG. And that's something that we've seen year after year, that student government presidents have promised to reach out to groups that maybe haven't been so involved or want to get more involved in SG to try and get them uh, folded into the process. I'd say that those efforts have largely been unsuccessful with some notable exceptions. Um, And so her thinking is that if we lower the cost of entry, maybe this can help us once and for all um, achieve that. I mean, obviously, I would say I think SG does still need to do a better job of, and I wrote this in my piece, of uh, reaching out um, to those groups and really making themselves available not just during campaign season but also during you know, regular academic terms, but I don't know your thoughts on that.
0: I think that um, almost as soon as the spring semester starts, it's like student government elections are starting as well because there, I believe that this year it was a February 3rd deadline in order to change the election rules, like with the election supervisory board. Um, and so that came up maybe even just two weeks after the new semester started and uh, campaigns are starting next week and pretty soon, just two weeks after that, it's going to be voting in student government unlike in other elected positions like the Daily Text Editor-in-Chief, for instance, and TSM at large, um, whose terms start in June, um, they are sworn in just a few weeks after election. So things really seem to be moving pretty quickly. I think it would've been cool to see this measure you know, put in place in the spring as opposed to the following fall. But rules are rules, I guess. And it's it's great that it's going to be put in place at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, so do you think overall that the the barrier of entry is too high? Should executive alliances be spending $1,000 on their campaigns?
0: Well, of course, if there's a rule that they can, there's no way to stop them. But I yeah. don't think that that is necessarily, and I mean, even as some of our numbers show that that isn't, Necessarily the determining factor. Um, I think Xavier Rottanowski and Rohit Indolapu just spent thirty-eight bucks. Is that what you said on their campaign? Thirty-eight bucks. That's incredible. So um, it's really, I mean, student government elections are always interesting to watch and see how they play out. Um, and I think that this one will be interesting too. And I'm excited to see that measure go in place in the fall. I think that it will even the playing field in a way and um, not give an advantage to people who potentially do have a disposable income to um, make strides, even in terms of just like printing off extra flyers or, um, you know, making T-shirts or anything like that. Um, I think that student government elections don't really get out of control in terms of the number of materials used for campaigning. But yeah, I mean, I would, of course, I would love to see, you know, a more even playing field. So I'm excited for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of a similar mind. Part of me says, well, number one, Xavier and Rohit's election was definitely in, uh, an aberration. It was very different than what we've seen on campus before. Um, so it's almost you'd expect them to have only spent $38 on Lunchables. <laughs> um, I wonder, you know, in the past for these elections or in this upcoming election, you know, are, are things like T-shirts and buttons and balloons, do those make a difference? And I think... Tanner is saying in many ways in his his, um, piece that maybe they don't as much. But certainly they make the campaign seem more streamlined. You know, if they can buy a domain name and, you know, hand out uh, slips of paper, whatever, um, then that may go a long way. But they can't obviously use that, that money to directly solicit votes. And I think that that's a point that he's making.
0: Right. And, you know, maybe Tanner Long is right. Um, and another bigger way, which is that if it if the amount of money that candidates are spending on their campaigns isn't really affecting their success, then they're probably doing a really good job reaching out to students in other ways. And that's kind of what this is about anyway.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and then there's the question of are is SG doing a good job of reaching out to students? Because even with Xavier and Rohit's victory was it I think it was about 9000 people who voted in that runoff election between him and, and Braden Jones and uh, Kimio Daragahi. And, I mean, 9,000 out of a campus of 50,000, and those c- numbers were considered high. Uh, right. I think it's it's kind of startling. Obviously, they did a, a good job of, of harnessing some excitement and uh, social media and, and yik-yak. They did very well on yik-yak. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, with, you know, I mean, it in a best-case scenario, 20% of the student population voting. Is, is that really enough?
0: Exactly. I feel like um, I almost remember almost a self-congratulatory sort of quote from members of the election supervisory board saying that um, the number of students turning out to vote in the student government election just barely surpassed the number of students turning out in you know the gubernatorial election. And I don't really know if that's good enough. I, I think that we can always do better on both ends, and hopefully this will make that happen. But Um, to be frank, I think probably a lot more needs to happen too, but as always, the student government election is going to be really interesting. It is every year. I'm looking forward to it. And, um, thank you all so much for listening and thank you so much for joining me, Walker. I think it's going to be really fun doing these podcasts. All right. Thanks so much again for listening. I'm Claire Smith.
1: I'm Walker Fountain.
0: And we hope that you'll tune in again next week for the Texan Talks podcast, a forum for the 40 Acres. To find more information about the Texan Talks podcast, please pick up an issue of the Daily Texan on newsstands today to read what our forum editor, Walker Found and contributors Tanner Long and Amber McGee had to say about this topic. And uh, follow us on Twitter at Texan Editorial. Thank you so much. This podcast was produced by The Daily
1: Texan and hosted by Claire Smith and Walker Fountain. The music was by Jazar. Be sure to check back next week for our next episode. And as always, be sure to check out dailytexanonline.com.